Hey there, Sean. Hey, Pierce. How's it going? It's pretty okay. All right. That means it's time for another episode of the It's Pretty Okay podcast. Let's do it. Okay. The pandemic rolls on. Uh, now we get to ask the question if a World Series happens in the woods and there's no one there to watch or listen to it in any way, does it still happen? Uh, I, I, what, what, what kind of is a World Series? Is that sports? Oh, that's uh, the the poker tournament. Is Chris Moneymaker Ooh, still big into that? I I guess I guess you're right. I guess I I do have to clarify that it is the uh, the inferior World Series of baseball. <laughs> inferior World Series. Yeah, I I the you know now that uh, Sean and I are both members of members of Defector subscribers. I guess you would say subscribers. Feels, it feels like a club in some ways, but um, yeah, I, I know that that. Ray Ratto wrote today about the impending doom of just having the NFL for a very long time, like until um, New Year's Day, because the basketball season was supposed to start tonight when right. we're recording, and uh, hockey would have already started. And so baseball's ending, and um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're just going to have football for a while, and uh, that that I guess makes me sad, but then again, I haven't been really watching football, and I sure as hell have not been watching baseball. Um, but I, I I thought about that recently, and and was kind of sad about it because uh, a little over a week ago, Joe Morgan passed away. Um, and I don't know about you all, but really the only time I ever watched baseball consistently. Um, was when he was the color commentator with, uh, I, I, f- I forget the play-by-play guy's name, but on ESPN's uh, Sunday Night Baseball. And I remember it just being, in some ways, like my platonic ideal of a, of a two-man booth team. Uh, I mean, Kevin, I- I'd be interested with you. Do, you. do you recall, like, Sunday nights listening to, to Joe Morgan um do do the baseball games yeah so that's kind of a realization that I, I came to as um as we were talking about this topic is that I didn't really pay much attention to announcers when I was uh a kid like I guess I didn't internalize them very much and it wasn't until I watched way too much college basketball in like late late high school and going into college when I kind of started paying attention to them in like the broader sense so no i do not really remember listening to joe morgan i remember getting like the like the visceral experience of sunday night baseball but i don't mm-hmm. really remember the announcing I mean, he was obviously a part of that and i just didn't realize it yeah and that's and that's an important thing in in max i know on many occasions i have watched uh way too much football on sunday afternoons with you and the the visceral experience of it uh, i think switching from the afternoon games to to the sunday night football game is is something that that you notice the production value but i think that there's also i don't know if you notice but sunday night football games for the last number of years probably around 10 now have been called in part by al michaels 
which I think is another like stalwart. You know, it's like serious. This is one of the ideals. I, I mean, do you put stock in that? I mean, I do. Yeah, I, like I, I don't pay a whole ton of attention to the histories of announcers and whatnot, but I definitely like as a viewer, at least casual, if not not casual viewer you, like you definitely notice a difference like you said it's it's production value i think mm-hmm. um i think a good announcer can get you certainly more engaged um mm-hmm. it does remind me and speaking of football and i don't i don't want to jump right into it now but there's also um you know a lot of times during the day i'll be watching red zone which is like an announcer announcing the announcers um and that's something else that's maybe we'll discuss it in a little bit but um, to your point, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Al Michaels is, is, is wonderful. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm of a slightly different mind. I, I I tend to think about I would say that I tend to think about sports announcers, and and we should probably stipulate that we're talking about TV announcers because there are meaningful distinctions based on medium. Yeah. Uh, that. Sports announcers on TV matter in the same way that uh, NBA coaches matter, which is to say that there's a small handful that are really good and enhance the experience. There's a small handful that are really bad and, you know, get fired before they have a chance to fuck up your viewing experience too badly. And then everyone else is pretty much interchangeable, and mm-hmm. all all I ha- all I have to point to, to to make my point, I think, is the fact that I, I know pretty confidently that if I asked you guys to name the Fox NFL commentating teams beyond Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, you couldn't name. A single person. Kenny Albert still do one. All Is right, still got... fuck you. <laughs> you ruined. Oh, what is you it? ruined Kenny... my point. Ken... God, no, Kenny Albert or so... Moose Johnston. But but to your point, I because <laughs> he has the worst games, which is what we <laughs> I got now uh, am watching. Like before, I only watched CBS games. Like being in a Redskins market. Oh. oh. Do we need Whoa. to cut that out? <laughs> oh no, we're definitely not doing <laughs> that. Well, we got to cut it out for two reasons. First of all, it's it's it would it would have been on Fox because because usually they're playing <laughs> NFC teams, right? Um, and and so that that's there. Edited uh, out for wrongness. And and also, you'll excuse excuse the racial slur that Kevin used inadvertently. So but, okay, but but, but I'm, I just meant like I was always watching Fox games, and so that was the only one I could name. But now yeah. I like turned on a CBS game, and I was like, "Oh, uh, what is it? Is it what's, what's the NBA guy name? Uh, oh yeah, Kevin Harlan. He does football games. Like I didn't even know that." Well, yeah. So so Kevin, I would count Kevin Harlan as one of like the fairly distinctive ones. But like I would be willing to guess that you can't tell the difference between like if you were to just turn on your tv in the middle of a game you wouldn't know whether that game was being called by kenny albert or like brian baldinger who apparently is a person um or tom brenneman actually you probably would know if it was tom brenneman because you wouldn't actually be watching a game because he is a horrible homophobe and he got fired for it so yeah but but i i think 
generally speaking, I think the point is that the majority of these guys are not really uh, enhancing your experience all that much. Mm-mm. No, and and it's you know there there are some people who are I to your point of they're interchangeable, but. They're a lot of them doing good work. Another one that you could mention there is Ian Eagle, who I think does a good job as as a play by play guy announcing games. Part of it is, I mean, to go back a little bit to the production value, <clears throat> some of these people are just not put in uh, the the areas where where they can they can show how how great they are. I would say that afternoon regular season football games especially the cbs ones which always look so bright and everything i i almost don't take it seriously and that's probably the, the detriment of the announcers um and also not everybody gets the like chummy like hushed tone voice of jim nance because that is just super pretentious but he can do that because he's he's built that up so i i think and you know to switch from football a little bit because we've been talking about that one area where I think some of these announcers get to get to shine and show off how they can be dynamic is when CBS rolls out eighty thousand announcers for the NCAA tournament. Um, you'll you'll remember that we've ha- we've had a lot of fun with that. Um, you know that's where you get these announcers like you know Kevin said Kevin Harlan. Um, who all of a sudden you realize that they're brilliant because they're calling a game that you you really know nothing about. And that's kind of one thing I want to get, get into. A good announcer is someone who gets you to the place where you can enjoy the game, even if it's, you know, Mercer playing a, a team that is better than Mercer in the tournament. Yep, definitely. That is, that is true. I, I think that that is a really good point, that in a in a situation where you are likely not familiar with many of the people that are involved, having an announcer whose job is literally to uh, studiously familiarize themselves with everyone involved is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But you're also, you're, you're kind of rolling right up to the edge of why I, I made sure to mention that there is a distinct difference between TV and say radio announcers because what it takes to get you to that place you need to be is totally different baseball or not baseball sorry radio i i I associate the two for you know for for some reason they they both seem more old-fashioned but really Mm -hmm. i'm just i'm thinking of someone like vin scully uh a, a a game on the radio without a visual aid the person who is calling that game is responsible for painting your entire picture of the game you can hear Mm -hmm. cracks of the bat and whatnot you can hear some crowd noise but by and large your oral a-u-r-a-l experience with that game is what the announcer gives you so you have to be able to fill a prodigious amount of space you basically you have to be Colin Cowherd like I I think Colin Cowherd is a goon with trash opinions but his ability to talk for three hours during a drive time radio show is incredible and like you kind of have no choice but to respect that even if two hours and 45 minutes of it are saying gross racist stuff about John Wall Um, TV is very different because 
there's a you don't listen to TV. You watch TV. There's a reason that's the verb that we we choose for how you interact with something that's on TV. And so oftentimes a really underrated skill that good TV sports announcers have is to know when to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, you mentioned that <clears throat> Jim Nance's voice is, is very pretentious. And I, it can't be argued with. That's true. But I will give Jim Nance credit. He really seems to have a very good sense of when to get the hell out of the way and let you just see what's happening and and, yeah. and process it for yourself. So, you know, when you when you think about like who are, are good announcers, keeping in mind those different skill sets are very important. Yeah, and and I I think Jim Nance I I certainly laud him as someone who's watched the Masters for for most of my life and he has that has been his terrain. That's such a good crew that they put together there are things they can and cannot say which are just really Mm -hmm. uh, you know draconian and everything else but they have a team and it works really well together and and you there's the production value and there's there's such an experience and and they really know when to get out of the way when they're letting basically the the geography and the topography speak for itself um but these are also very national things and and max you are from maybe the most sports crazed area uh that exists in in America um this New England region and and Kevin I think is getting used to it but we've been talking about really national announcers especially with baseball but I you know with other sports too um you you get the local flavor to an announcer group and I know you don't think about announcers but between Boston Sports Radio and just the way the local announcers do do the games. I, I mean, how do you reframe the way you assess those local announcers as opposed to say, you know, Mike Chirico calling a game or Al Michaels calling a game for that for that example? Um, I mean, I, it definitely affects how you watch the game. I mean, the most obvious thing is a is a most local announcers are going to have a pretty clear uh rooting interest in the Mm -hmm. outcome of the game um so you may have a different impression of how um fouls are called and things like that they're going to be um kind of more involved in like your interpretation of the game um i think they can also potentially be more entertaining in that sense because they don't necessarily need to be as reeled in and as like perfected um, not necessarily. I, I wanted to mention it too because I was curious. Like, there's we're talking a lot about people who I think of as just being a very kind of um, cleaned up act when it comes to announcing. I feel like Jim Nance and Al Michaels. It's like, yeah, you're you're, you're getting what you're going to get, but it's very like you know PG. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I and then I think of things like when when announcer brings really more entertainment value still in the sports world, and it reminds me of, of Bill Walton calling the Hawaii Invitational, <laughs> which is just absurd like I, I almost tune into that just to listen to him talk about getting getting laid and and things like that because that's what he talks about that's th- with the flowers um yeah, presumably yeah, he, he yeah. doesn't really clarify but he you know he loves it out there and it's it's legitimately just fun to hear him and then i also you know so i think about that too and it, and it makes me wonder like i think there's a little more leeway when it comes to either a local or to your point even just less fewer fewer viewers slash listeners um gives more an opportunity to be more entertaining or, or out there 
Yeah, and there's also the distinction that Bill Walton is not a play-by-play guy. He's a color commentator, so he's there kind of specifically for, you know, for him to be Bill Walton. But Mm -hmm. uh, but that's – it's an interesting thing. I I think that, you know, some of the most enjoyable announcers – well, before before I get to that point, part of the reason that that dynamic exists with the local announcers is that – the whole relationship structure is totally different. Like, you know, Kenny Albert is employed by Fox and travels around to wherever Fox tells him, you know, wherever they tell him that he and he and Moose are going to go call the game. But your your local channels, your your regional sports networks often like have specific relationships with the teams. And so <clears throat> it's just like a totally different ecosystem. But w- one of the one of the areas that I'm particularly interested in is uh, European soccer announcers, who are not really in that mold. I think I think of like Ray Hudson, who has eight gazillion YouTube videos that are all, you know, just compilations of him, uh, uh, you know, achieving release on the air over. <laughs> goals by Lionel Messi and Juan Roman Riquelme and like he's not he's not a Barcelona broadcaster but I you know I guess I wonder is there something totally different about the arrangement in Europe where we're not counting on necessarily the most kind of buttoned up professionalism like you think of with Al Michaels or Mike Breen uh, yeah, I mean, I would say he also is, he does BN Sports, and I don't know how their distribution continentally there works. Um, I know that it's a network here that we can see, but it is very different than you know Arlo White and Graham Lasso and and folks that do the NBC broadcasts, which are a much more stiff upper lip British stuff. But they are very funny too. Um, so I mean. He Hudson may may be the outlier there. I I don't really know, but um, one thing that that is nice about that, and and I think of it is more in the local announcer mold, is the allowing for excitement. Uh, Kevin and I have have joked many times in the past about the local color commentator for the Washington Nationals, which is FP Santangelo. He. Every year the Nats are winning the World Series for him. Even the years where, where they just got to Washington, which he might have actually been on the team. Then, I don't know. But he is totally in the tank for them. And and the thing about that is, yeah, it's unrealistic. But, I mean, Kevin, do you – when you get that out of the local person or even on national stages uh, sometimes, is that – do you need a little bit of excitement out of at least one member of the, the booth? Yeah, I think in baseball it definitely makes sense um, because there are so many games, and if I'm tuning into a random game um, in the normal season, one game doesn't like mean a whole lot. <clears throat> and it's just a joy with FP because the Nats will be down like five runs in the bottom of the ninth, and be like, "I right, will just get a nice single here, steal a base, and like get a double, and we're right back in this thing." And it's uh, it's just a, like a nice dimension to add. Do I want him, Do I want that like unbridled optimism when the Nats are choking in the playoffs? No, I'm like, I I get mad at FP because like, he needs to have a more realistic view of the situation. So I think it's nice when like the stakes 
the stakes are lower. And I guess it's also like FP would be annoying if um, he was the commentator for the Wizards who were just a, had a franchise with like no direction and he was still trying to be like optimistic about the situation. That would probably annoy me too. So I think in the right situation, it's it's really nice to have just like the unbridled optimism. Yeah, I think there are, there are a lot of spaces where a, a certain level, there's like a certain level of desirable delusion that you want out of your your local announcers. And honestly, Pierce, you you talked about March Madness, and and that's when I want some, you know, I want some desirable delusion out of my basketball mm-hmm. commentators. Like I. Look, Jim Nance is a good play-by-play man. You know who I want calling every March Madness game every year? Gus Johnson. Yeah. I, I couldn't think of his name, but but that's an, like, another person that you get excited about. Exactly. If if what we're talking about is who who does a good job of upping the stakes and, and upping your excitement in the moment, I, I, I have yet to encounter anyone who has done it particularly uh, as well as Gus Johnson during the tournament. It's just the best. And, and it's one of those, it's one of those things where you can clearly tell like how much he loves college basketball and the particular brand of wild shit that happens in the tournament. Like, you know, uh, I, I have no desire in Jim Nance calling Mercer upsetting Duke in the first round. I I might want Jim Nance calling a championship game because at that point, almost all the time, the participants are a little higher profile and I I know who they're, you know, I know who they are. I know who their key players are. I might know who the coaches are. And and so I need less from the announcers when it's like Villanova, Kansas. But, so it, it, but Mercer, yeah. hell yeah. Give me Gus Johnson every time. So you've come to something that I, I think is key here is is when you get to the big wigs like the, the Nances and the Michaels and everything like that, they're really facilitating the story at this point. If it's if it's the the back nine at the Masters on Sunday, Nance is kind of just the, the storylines are out there. He's just kind of shepherding you towards them and, and throwing it over to 16 and, and letting you, you – you understand the moment he's done that. What Gus Johnson is doing, Mercer is playing, is he's making the story in a way that is somewhat like the excitable local person, which is this game, we know how it should go. Or if you know these these uh, July baseball games, they don't really matter. But you are trying to create the storyline out of what you're seeing in a way that we would never ask Nance or Michaels to do. Exactly, because almost no one has a particularly strong opinion on Mercer. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and like I wouldn't want Gus Johnson doing the World Series tonight because like I know nothing about the Rays, and I actually think that I think Joe Buck has the problem that you mentioned earlier, where sometimes he doesn't know when to let it go. But I've actually always thought Joe Buck did a good job in terms of like the backstories of the teams and the players or something. Well, so, so, so yeah. Ken Rosenthal is pretty good too. So you're also getting into something where, you know, just, just as there are distinctions between broadcast medium, there are also distinctions by sport. Let, let me, let me try this on it and see how it feels. To me, there are, two categories of, of that there's continuous action sports 
basketball, hockey, soccer, and then there's discrete action sports, football, baseball, golf, where all the play is broken up into short defined little chunks that have honestly more time in between them than time where they are taking place. And so the job that an announcer really has to do is very different. So like baseball, like I want Joe Buck explaining to me between pitches who uh who Randy Arozarena is. But in a wild basketball game where uh you know, I think of like a, a game uh there was a game in the late nineties, it was a tournament game that UCLA won on like a a late play where Tyus Edney like got a rebound or got an outlet pass and like raced up the court to hit a shot and like I don't necessarily want someone talking over all of that I want Mm -hmm. Gus Johnson to explode in a (laughs) volcano of enthusiasm as the shot goes in but I kind of want him to be like oh 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 instead of talking the whole time about you know about anything really yeah sure so i'd say the one the one issue with or your categorization that i have is that oftentimes in high intensity basketball games it turns into the (laughs) i mean yeah (laughs) it turns into the former which is you're right unfortunate so uh, max i think that uh, i think that basketball is is more conducive to this quick fast-paced excitement and i think you watch a lot more football including red zone which is uh, it's like nance blown up 10 levels because now you're shepherding the storylines that are all occurring across different places as well but uh, i mean do you do you think that some of maybe this excitement in announcing is lost in football because so much of the game nothing is happening um you know i think most Super Bowls now, the actual active part of the games is some number of minutes under under 15, if not even closer to like six. I mean, do you think that it's harder to be a good announcer in, in football than it is in hockey and in basketball? Baseball is a little bit different, but I think, do you think football presents a unique challenge? Um, I don't necessarily think so. I mean, you could argue that maybe it does in the sense that I think maybe a lot of people watching it don't even have the volume on, but I don't know that that's necessarily unique from basketball um, or just a sport that someone is watching in a, maybe a, a bar or something that doesn't have the, the audio on something that mm-hmm. we used to do in the before times. Um, I mean, I definitely think there's, there's probably some uniqueness, like you said, of filling the void, but also maintaining, at least if you're, if you're doing like a, nationally broadcast Sunday night football, you have what it's a three and a half hour broadcast and they play for 12 minutes. You have a lot of time to fill to your point, but you're also not necessarily bringing the excitement and and energy in. So I guess there could be some unique challenges there, but then there's also potentially more context to even talk about. I feel like a lot of football fans are so tuned in and especially with things like, I mean, the thing about Scott Hansen and red zone is he's not really announcing football games he's announcing fantasy football on top of football games which is a very unique skill and it's very impressive the way he does it where he'll he'll take you from one game to the next but he's not announcing 
the scores of the games. He's announcing the players scoring and how they're doing in fantasy, and it's it's a whole different thing there. Yeah, let's let's call Scott Hansen what Scott Hansen is. Scott Hansen is a cocaine dealer. <laughs> yeah, he is. One hundred percent. Scott Hansen is a cocaine dealer, except he also straps you down to the table, and you know toots it up your nose for you. Uh, yeah. But I actually see the other side of that coin for, like, watching a football game. I actually think that more than more than the other sports where there's a lot of discrete action and time between plays, football is complex enough that that time really opens the door for someone who is – not so much for play-by-play announcers, but opens the door for – uh, high quality, talented color commentators to really like impart a better understanding of how the game works with replays and and the telestrator and all that good stuff that like you just don't really get out of baseball because it's not like you're running plays in baseball so much. Uh, and and so I I actually think in a in a way it's almost it should be easier which is part of what makes me furious that so many NFL color commentators are so terrible at their jobs. Uh, there's like two good color commentators. All the rest of them are trash. Uh, believe it or not, Troy Aikman is one of the trash ones. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so, so like, I, I guess, I guess there's, I, so I think about that a lot. Like what is, what is the commentator supposed to be doing in this time? Yeah, that's a great point too. I think also, and this might just be because I watch football more than other sports, but the the at least certainly the major football broadcasts and even the minor ones have a team of people that they also can go to for different things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they'll go to Gene Steratore to talk about the specifically interpreting the rules of the game. <laughs> and so I almost think that also makes it easier for them that they can kind of pawn off the the details or the, you know, injury updates and things like that. I'm sure other sports and, and, and announcing do that as well. Um, but yeah, it's like different, giving different contexts like that. Like, Oh, why was this not a catch? Um, you know, pass it over to Gene who, when, when was the last time Gene was a ref? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he's truly an impartial, trustworthy source, but that's the goal. And he gives you the context, the way the rule is, is written, which is, cool for for football in a way like you said where it's it's simple enough that you can kind of know what's going on but then there's some rules that it's like well i don't even know what like what is the actual rule here how is it written and how you know what does this mean for the the flow of the game which is chunky at best yeah um so so we've talked a lot about what makes for good announcing but we've been at it for a while and 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 we should probably start to angle towards wrapping this topic up and, and mm-hmm. I want to make sure that we do talk a little bit about what makes a bad announcer and for, for all that we've celebrated basketball for uh, you know having some of the highest highs like Kevin Harlan and Gus Johnson losing their mind over stuff that happens in tournament games basketball oh also everything that Doris Burke does because she's perfect mm-hmm. and should never change for anyone it also has some of the lowest lows Basketball has uh, open hostility, which is not this, you know, it's not the same, like, FP is a Nats homer, but 
he doesn't i would imagine he doesn't necessarily spend a lot of time expressing open disdain for the nat's opponent the way that for example one oh i don't know len elmore did every time he called a university of virginia basketball game Mm -hmm. for 10 years uh len sincerely from the bottom of my heart go kick rocks um and, and, and it also has something that I, I, I find that I don't like, which is a, a, a number of high-profile announcers who uh, are not expressing open hostility so much towards a specific team or player as towards the entire sport itself. Yes. And to wit, um, I don't ever for the rest of my life need to hear another word said by <laughs> Mark Jackson or Jeff Van Gundy. They are the worst thing about watching nationally broadcast NBA games. They're miserable. Yeah, they do yeah, nothing but they, complain the entire time and nothing but their... complaining and bitching yeah. at each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so sometimes they're put in the situation where, like, yeah, they have to fill time because the refs are taking an hour on a block charge call that they don't need to. But I don't also don't need to hear Van Gundy like scream about it the whole time, right? Either. And and I don't need to hear Mark Jackson spend three minutes digressing about how a pretty innocuous foul uh, would have been met with death on a playground as he did during an NBA playoff game this year. Yeah. So, I mean, the the thing about that is I understand that they are from a different era and they, they feel that the game was played differently then. But, I mean, essentially what is happening here is people have been asked as a job to observe and, and you know, critique to an extent. Yes. Um, what, what is at hand? You know, what... What the author has put in front of you, talk about the story. But what they're doing in some ways by attacking basketball on the whole is they are they are attacking the author as opposed to, to what they're seeing here. You know, where they're they're not saying like, oh, I think this is a block and this is charged. It's it's I don't even know why they're even doing this. This their process, their structure is bad. I mean, I, I just I, listen in college football i think that it would be great to hear somebody attack the process in that way but like this is not that this is a national telecast this is people who are professionally doing doing this thing and they are not standing up for the little guy in any way they're just standing up for themselves so so maybe that's the thing that is like kind of unacceptable to me is when they are expressing their personal like guff with with whatever it is and and that's not fun. I don't feel a, a level of camaraderie. If I mean, if you make a comment here and there about like, oh, wow, that was an expert flop or that was a little over the top, I can laugh at that because you as a color commentator on the replay point out to me that like, oh, he actually didn't get bonked in the nose. It wasn't close to him. That's fine. They're not doing that. Yes, Kevin. Yeah, so along that line of logic, one person who I kinda, I've kind of always gone back and forth with is Jay Billis. I thought for a while Jay Billis was like like he had a lot of things right. He had a lot of like good ideas, but then I feel like he started just getting put on every high profile ESPN game, and he uses every single game as his like crusade for um, uh, the NCAA as a whole and stuff. 
and like I'm on board with his thoughts, but it just it gets tiring when I'm just trying to watch like a basketball game, um, and I just have to hear him kind of bring up his agenda the whole time. So I'm torn on that one because like it is good to get the word out, but I just get kind of tired of it when I see him do multiple games. Yeah, and 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 that's a particularly tricky case because his agenda is the right one. The NCAA is a horribly corrupt cartel that is a you know a, almost universally a force for bad in the world. But <laughs> but like we already know that no one no Jay Billis. I I think I think the point that you're getting at is Jay Billis is not changing anyone's mind on that at this point. So you know maybe maybe back off. Yeah, I, I guess that's kind of what I'm opinions have calcified. Nobody's going to wake up tomorrow and be like, you know, I know I've been a real fan of the amateurism model for the last 27 years, but that Billis really opened up my eyes. Uh, yeah, for sure. But he also does do the complaint about the the block charge thing in the long review times as well, too. So I don't know. We'll have a different discussion about the offensive foul. There, there's a lot of lot to plumb no, there. So. No, we won't. No, we won't. But we definitely should talk about something else because we we've been uh we've been at this for wait, but we didn't quite a we while. didn't talk about sideline announcers or I guess the reporters. We didn't but... talk about ESPN eight the Ocho announcers either. Oh. Well, yeah. come back, come There's back. There's lots next of good time. announcers. Come back next time for our thoughts on the announcers of cornhole and drone racing and dodgeball and dodgeball. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that is the end of that. So we will roll on to Pierce's sorry. What are you apologizing for today? Um, so this is something that that uh, was going to apologize for last week, but now it is very germane. Um, Max, when when we watched the Future Islands concert, there was another event going on at the same time. And uh, I discussed with you all how I would need to do double screens. That other event was basketball. It, yeah, it was. It was. I think. Yeah, Game Five of the Lakers Heat series. Fine. So I have to, more specific. <clears throat> well, it's important because I I am really apologizing for um, getting too wrapped up in, into the storylines there, even with two, as we've said, bad announcers, Mike Breen. Pretty pretty good. I really enjoy him. I want to give credit where credit is due. Hopefully we'll get in 2021 him and Doris Burke, which we don't deserve, but it would be nice to have. Um, so given that and the, the intensity of the game in my household, our watching of the Future Islands concert was colored by the stress that was emanating from the muted Lakers heat thing. So I am sorry to, you know, two weeks in a row max a bit to you because i feel like this shared experience i could not fully embrace because in my household we were tangentially and indirectly stressed about the lakers game that was going on because i don't know just very much not pro jimmy butler or more importantly tyler hero and duncan robinson in this house and just the stress of duncan robinson succeeding was just too much to handle he went to Exeter. Okay, you cannot root for him. I know he did the nice thing with uh, uh, a club trillion, our friend Mark Titus, but still, I could I could not do that. So I am sorry for not fully enjoying Future Islands because of Lakers bad announcing and do stress. 
Fair enough. Oh, Thank you. Don't. I accept that apology. Thank you. Don't don't ever change. Don't just don't ever change. He went. Yeah, he went to. You can't root for somebody who went to Exeter. I mean, sure. Yeah, that's fine. It, that's that. I would say a lot of the time that's a pretty reasonable rule of thumb. I, so yeah, he also I, went I, to I, Williams. I know. I can't. I can't argue <laughs> with the logic too much. Um. Okay. So let's uh, let's close the show with a big idea from pop culture, and, and funnily enough, this is also uh, something that was originally going to be on tap for last week, uh, but then Kevin was not able to make it, and I wanted to make sure that he was here for this one. Uh, you know, this is uh, this pandemic has has been a time that that certainly started off with uh, a lot of people kind of making big bold uh claims predictions or or even like taking big first steps towards like making this time useful and picking up a new hobby or learning a new skill or or something like that and i think by this point we we can safely assume that a a massive percentage of those things has been abandoned um i feel pretty good about you know, having, for the most part, successfully avoided that, uh, I, I set out to to read more, but that was already something that I liked doing, and and you know, just wanted to make sure it was more a part of my life, and I've I've done a pretty good job of that. Instead, I have been spending at least some amount of time kind of like immersing myself in other people's processes. Uh, and one of the ways that I've been doing that is listening to a podcast called 20,000 Hertz, which is a podcast about sound. Uh, it's a, a very broad umbrella, uh, of course, and it covers a, a lot of different things. Like the other night I listened to an episode about backmasking and the, the satanic panic of people thinking that there were you know, demonic messages being secretly encoded onto records. Uh, and stuff about like the history of ringtones, but I I had I had the opportunity last week. Uh, actually, it was probably two weeks ago, just based on the timing of of having thought about this for a podcast, uh, to go on like a really long walk and listen to a two part episode on the process of mastering a record. Uh, the the process once all of the instruments and vocal tracks and everything have been recorded actually getting all the levels right and and tweaking and tweezing to to make the master which is the the copy from which all of the records are pressed or the cds are scanned or the digital files are, are copied all of that stuff and specifically over the role of compression and loudness now i don't at the i don't want to get too deep into the weeds on this you can listen to 20,000 hertz yourself if you want but um you know sound has a dynamic range and you know bass bass low tones uh vibrate at a different frequency than higher trebly tones and so everything is on a, a spectrum and compression uh, 
evens everything out. It reduces the distance between the quiet parts and the loud parts. And that is something that has been done a lot on recordings over the last couple decades in order to be able to get the general volume louder for listening on headphones and small speakers and that sort of stuff. But what it's led to is uh, if this is, uh, I hope this is a good enough way to explain it, but older records tend to sound like there's more space in them because everything is not squashed into this one band of like everything is medium volume so that we can make everything loud volume. You can actually kind of hear it almost like the drums really are in a different place than the guitar is, or the bass is coming in at a different level. And so that dynamic range has been sapped out of a lot of modern recordings. And one hilarious example is Kevin. Um, the St. Anger snare drum. <laughs> Actually, I think they referenced death magnetic, but yes, it is. Okay. It is, uh, it is <laughs> late era Metallica recordings. Um, mm. and, and they do like a side by side of, uh, like a, a, a copy that's uh, the way it was originally recorded. And they actually like tracked down the master file and kind of reworked it as though it were an old recording with dynamic range. And just like to hear the side by side of those two is fascinating. So, uh, for good for process nerds, good for people who, uh, who are, are into the way that things sound. Uh, those those two episodes of twenty thousand hertz uh, are are a good time and will get you through a you know two hours or so. So I'll uh, I'll link those in the show notes. Uh, and yeah, that's the end of the show. You can find us at our home on the web www.prettyokpod.com. If you do that, uh, you will be able to find our podcast feed. You can also subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Uh, please leave us a rating, review, comment, that sort of thing. Just tell a friend about the show. We'd love to share it with them as well. We'll be back next week to talk about something else. Until then, I'm Sean. I'm Pierce. I'm Cotton McKnight. I'm Kevin. Friends don't let friends listen to Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy. You can't hurt me. I've been dead alive by the devil. That's in them Touch me. I've been buried alive by the devil. It's hidden in here. No.